Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Act 1 of Henry IV, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry IV, Part 1 by William Shakespeare Act One. Scene One, London, the Palace Enter King Henry, Lord John of Lancaster, the Earl of Westmoreland, Sir Walter Blunt, and others. So shaken as we are, so wan with care, find we a time for frighted peace to pant, and breathe short-winded accents of new broils to be commenced in strands afar remote. No more the thirsty entrance of this soil shall daub her lips with her own children's blood, nor more shall trenching war channel her fields, nor bruise her flowerets with the armed hoofs of hostile paces, those opposed eyes which, like the meteors of a troubled heaven, all of one nature, of one substance bred, did lately meet in the intestine shock and furious close of civil butchery, shall now, in mutual well-beseeming ranks, march all one way, and be no more opposed against acquaintance, kindred, and allies. The edge of war, like an ill-sheathed knife, no more shall cut his master. Therefore, friends, as far as to the sepulchre of Christ, whose soldier now, under whose blessed cross we are impressed and engaged to fight, forthwith the power of English shall we levy, whose arms were moulded in their mother's womb to chase these pagans in those holy fields, over whose acres walked those blessed feet, which fourteen hundred years ago were nailed for our advantage on the bitter cross. But this our purpose now is twelve month old, and bootless tis to tell you we will go, therefore we meet not now. Then let me hear of you, my gentle cousin Westmoreland, what yesternight our council did decree in forwarding this dear expedience? My liege, this haste was hot in question, and many limits of the charge set down but yesternight, when all athwart there came a post from Wales loaden with heavy news, whose worst was that the noble Mortimer, leading the men of Herefordshire to fight against the irregular and wild Glendower, was, by the rude hands of that Welshman, taken, a thousand of his people butchered, upon whose dead corpse there was such misuse, such beastly shameless transformation by those Welshwomen done, as may not be without much shame retold or spoken of. It seems, then, that the tidings of this broil break off our business for the Holy Land. This, matched with other, did, my gracious Lord, for more uneven and unwelcome news came from the north, and thus it did import. On Holyrood day the gallant Hotspur there, young Harry Percy, and brave Archibald, that ever-valiant and approved Scot, at homed and met, where they did spend a sad and bloody hour, as by discharge of their artillery and shape of likelihood, the news was told, for he that brought them in the very heat and pride of their contention did take horse, 
uncertain of the issue anyway. Here is a dear, a true industrious friend, Sir Walter Blunt, newly lighted from his horse, stained with the variation of each soil betwixt that Holmden and this seat of ours, and he hath brought us smooth and welcome news. The Earl of Douglas is discomfited. Ten thousand bold Scots, two and twenty knights, balked in their own blood did Sir Walter see on Holmden's plains. Of prisoners, Hotspur took, Mordake the Earl of Fife, an eldest son to beaten Douglas, and the Earl of Athol, of Murray, Angus, and Menteith. And is not this an honourable spoil? A gallant prize! Ha, cousin, is it not? In faith it is a conquest for a prince to boast of. Yea, there thou makest me sad, and makest me sin in envy, that my lord Northumberland shall be the father to so blessed a son, a son who is the theme of honour's tongue, amongst a grove the very straightest plant, who is sweet fortune's minion and her pride, whilst I, by looking on the praise of him, see riot and dishonour stain the brow of my young Harry. Oh, that it could be proved that some night-tripping fairy had exchanged in cradle-clothes our children where they lay, and called mine Percy, his Plantagenet. Then would I have his Harry, and he mine. But let him from my thoughts. What think you, cause, of this young Percy's pride? The prisoners, which he in this adventure hath surprised, to his own use he keeps, and sends me word. I shall have none but Mordake, Earl of Fife." This is his uncle's teaching. This is Worcester, malevolent to you in all aspects, which makes him prune himself and bristle up the crest of youth against your dignity. But I have sent for him to answer this, and for this cause a while we must neglect our holy purpose to Jerusalem. Cousin, on Wednesday next, our council we will hold at Windsor. So inform the lords. But come yourself with speed to us again. For more is to be said and to be done than out of anger can be uttered. I will, my liege. Exeunt. Scene two, London, an apartment of the princes. Enter the Prince of Wales and Falstaff. Now, Hal, what time of day is it, lad? Thou art so fat-witted with drinking of old sack and in buttoning thee after supper and sleeping upon benches after noon, that thou hast forgotten to demand that truly which thou wouldst truly know. What a devil hast thou to do with the time of the day? Unless hours were cups of sack, and minutes capons, and clocks the tongues of bods, and dials the signs of leaping houses, and the blessed sun himself, a fair hot wench in flame-colored taffeta, I see no reason why thou shouldst be so superfluous as to demand the time of the day. Indeed, you come near me now, Hal, for we that take purses go by the moon and the seven stars, and not by Phoebus, he that wandering knight so fair. And I prithee, sweet wag, when thou art king, as God save thy grace, <laughs> majesty I should say for grace, thou wilt have none. What? None? No, by my troth. Not so much as will serve to prologue to an egg and butter. Well, how then? Come, roundly, roundly. Marry then, sweet wag, when thou art king. Let not us that are squires of the knight's body be called thieves of the day's beauty. 
let us be diana's foresters gentlemen of the shade minions of the moon and let men say we be men of good government being governed as the sea is by our noble and chaste mistress the moon under whose countenance we steal thou sayest well and it holds well too for the fortune of us that on the moon's men doth ebb and flow like the sea being governed as the sea is by the moon as for proof now a purse of gold most resolutely snatched on monday night and most dissolutely spent on tuesday morning got with swearing lay by and spent with crying bring in now in as low an ebb as the foot of the ladder and by and by in as high a flow as the ridge of the gallows by the lord thou sayest true lad and is not my hostess of the tavern a, a most sweet wench as the honey of hybla my old lad of the castle and is not a buff jerkin a most sweet robe of durance how now how now mad wag what in thy quips and thy quiddities what a plague have i to do with a buff jerkin why what a pox have i to do with my hostess of the tavern well thou hast called her to a reckoning many a time and oft did i ever call for thee to pay thy part no i'll give thee thy due thou hast paid all there yea and elsewhere so far as my coin would stretch and where it would not i have used my credit yea and so used it that were it not here apparent that thou art e'er apparent but i prithee sweet wag shall there be gallows standing in england when thou art king and resolution thus fobbed as it is with the rusty curb of old father antic the law do not thou when thou art king hang a thief no thou shalt <laughs> shall i oh rare by the lord i'll be a brave judge thou judgest false already i mean thou shalt have the hanging of the thieves and so become a rare hangman well how well and in some sort it jumps with my humour as well as waiting in the court i can tell you for obtaining of suits yea for obtaining of suits whereof the hangman hath no lean wardrobe Splud! i am as melancholy as a gibcat or a lugged bear or an old lion or a lover's lute yea or the drone of a lincolnshire bagpipe what sayest thou to a hare or the melancholy of moordish thou hast the most unsavoury similes and art indeed the most comparative rascaliest sweet young prince but hal i prithee trouble me no more with vanity i would to god thou and i knew where a commodity of good names were to be bought an old lord of the council rated me the other day in the street about you sir but i mocked him not and yet he talked very wisely but i regarded him not and yet he talked wisely and in the street too thou didst well for wisdom cries out in the streets and no man regards it oh thou hast damnable literation and art indeed able to corrupt a saint thou hast done much harm upon me hal god forgive thee for it before i knew thee how i knew nothing and now am i if a man should speak truly 
little better than one of the wicked. I must give over this life, and I will give it over, by the Lord, and I do not. I am a villain. I'll be damned for never a king's son in Christendom. Where shall we take a purse tomorrow, Jack? Sounds, where thou wilt, lad. I'll make one, and I do not. Call me a villain and baffle me. I see a good amendment of life in me, from praying to purse-taking. Why, Hal, tis my vocation, Hal. Tis no sin for a man to labor in his vocation. Enter points. Points! Now shall we know if Gansil have set a match. Oh, if men were to be saved by merit, what hole in hell were hot enough for him? This is the most omnipotent villain that ever cried stand to a true man. Good morrow, Ned. Good morrow, sweet Hal. What says Monsieur Remorse? What says Sir John Jack and Sugar? Jack, how agrees the devil in thee about thy soul, that thou soldest him on Good Friday last for a cup of Madeira and a cold Cappen's leg? Sir John stands to his word. The devil shall have his bargain. For he was never yet a breaker of proverbs. He will give the devil his due. Then thou art damned for keeping thy word with the devil. Else he had been damned for cozening the devil. But lads, my lads, tomorrow morning by four o'clock, early at Gans Hill, there are pilgrims coming to Canterbury with rich offerings and traders riding to London with fat purses. I have wizards for you all, and you have horses for yourselves. Gads Hill lies tonight in Rochester. I have bespoke supper tomorrow night at East Cheap. We may do it as secure as sleep. If you will go, I will stuff your purses full of crowns. If you will not, tarry at home and be hanged. Hear ye, Yedward. If I tarry at home and go not, I'll hang you for going. You will, chops. Hal, wilt thou make one? Who, I rob? I a thief? Not I, by my faith. Oh, there's neither honesty, manhead, nor good fellowship in thee, nor thou camest not of the blood royal, if thou darest not stand for ten shillings. Well, then, once in my days I'll be a madcap. Why, that's well said. Well, come what will, I'll tarry at home. By the Lord, I'll be a traitor, then, when thou art king. I care not. Sir John, I prithee, leave the prince and me alone. I will lay him down such reasons for this adventure that he he shall go. Well, God give thee the spirit of persuasion, and him the ears of profiting, that what thou speakest may move, and what he hears may be believed, that the true prince may, for recreation's sake, prove a false thief, for the poor abuses of the time want countenance. Farewell, you shall find me in Eastcheap. Farewell, the latter spring. Farewell, all hallowed summer. Exit Falstaff. Now, my good, sweet, honey lord, ride with us tomorrow. I have a jest to execute that I cannot manage alone. Falstaff, Bardolph, Petzl, and Gadsel shall rob those men we have already waylaid. Yourself and I will not be there, and when they have the booty, if you and I do not rob them, cut this head off my shoulders. How shall we part with them in setting forth? Why, we will set forth before or after them, and appoint them a place of meeting, wherein it is at our pleasure to fail, and when they will adventure upon the exploit themselves, which they shall have no sooner achieved, but will set upon them.
Yea, but tis like that they will know us by our horses, by our habits, and by every other appointment to be ourselves. Tut! Our horses they shall not see, I'll tie them in the wood. Our visitors we will change after we leave them, and, sirrah, I have cases of buckram for the nonce to emask our noted outward garments. Yea, but I doubt they will be too hard for us. Well, for two of them, I know them to be as true-bred cowards as ever turned back. And for the third, if he fights longer than he sells reason, I'll forswear arms. The virtue of this jest will be the incomprehensible lies this same fat rogue will tell us when we meet at supper. How thirty at least he fought with, what wards, what blows, what extremities he endured. And in the reproof of this lies the jest. Well, I'll go with thee. Provide us all things necessary, and meet me tomorrow night in Eastcheap. There I'll sup. Farewell. Farewell, my lord. Exit points. I know you all, and will a while uphold the unyoked humor of your idleness. Yet, herein will I imitate the sun, who doth permit the base contagious clouds to smother up his beauty from the world, that when he please again to be himself, being wanted, he may be more wondered at, by breaking through the foul and ugly mists of vapors that did seem to strangle him. If all the year were playing holidays, to sport would be as tedious as to work. But when they seldom come, they wished for come, and nothing pleaseth but rare accidents. So, when this loose behavior I throw off, and pay the debt I never promise it. By how much better than my word I am, by so much shall I falsify men's hopes. And like bright metal on a sullen ground, my reformation glittering over my fault shall show more goodly and attract more eyes than that which hath no foil to set it off. I'll so offend, making offense a skill Redeeming time when men think least I will. Exit. Scene three. London. The palace. Enter the king, Northumberland, Worcester, Hotspur, Sir Walter Blunt, with others. My blood hath been too cold and temperate, unapt to stir at these indignities, and you have found me, for accordingly you tread upon my patience. But be sure I will from henceforth rather be myself, mighty and to be feared, than my condition, which hath been smooth as oil, soft as young down, and therefore lost that title of respect which the proud soul ne'er pays but to the proud. Our house, my sovereign liege, little deserves the scourge of greatness to be used on it, and that same greatness too which our own hands have halt to make so portly. My lord. Worcester, get thee gone, for I do see danger and disobedience in thine eye. O oh, sir, your presence is too bold and peremptory, and majesty might never yet endure the moody frontier of a servant brow. You have good leave to leave us. When we need your use and counsel, we shall send for you. Exit Worcester. You were about to speak. To North. Yea, my good lord. Those prisoners in your highness' name demanded, which Harry Percy here at Holmdon took, were, as he says, not with such strength denied, as is delivered to your majesty. 
either envy, therefore, or misprision, is guilty of this fault, and not my son. My liege, I did deny no prisoners. But I remember when the fight was done, when I was dry with rage and extreme toil, breathless and faint, leaning upon my sword, came there a certain lord, neat and trimly dressed, fresh as a bridegroom, and his chin new-reaped, showed like a stubble-landed harvest home. He was perfumed like a milliner, and twixt his finger and his thumb he held a pouncet-box, which ever and anon he gave his nose and took it away again, who therewith angry, when it next came there, took it in snuff, and still he smiled and talked, and as the soldiers bore dead bodies by, he called them untaught knaves, unmannerly, to bring a slovenly, unhandsome course betwixt the wind and his nobility. With many holiday and lady terms he questioned me, among the rest, demanded my prisoners in your majesty's behalf. I then, all smarting with my wounds being cold, to be so pestered with a popinjay, out of my grief and my impatience, answered neglectingly, I know not what. He should or he should not, for he made me mad to see him shine so brisk and smell so sweet, and talk so like a waiting gentlewoman of guns and drums and wounds. God save the mark! and telling me that the sovereignest thing on earth was Parmacetti for an inward bruise, and that it was great pity, so it was, this villainous saltpeter should be digged out of the bowels of the harmless earth, which many a good tall fellow had destroyed so cowardly, and but for these vile guns he would himself have been a soldier. This bald, unjointed chat of his, my lord, I answered indirectly, as I said, and I beseech you, let not his report come current for an accusation betwixt my love and your high majesty. The circumstance considered, good my lord, what e'er Lord Harry Percy then had said to such a person, and in such a place, at such a time, with all the rest retold, may reasonably die, and never rise to do him wrong, or any way impeach what then he said, so he unsay it now. Why, yet he doth deny his prisoners, but with proviso and exception, that we at our own charge shall ransom straight his brother-in-law, the foolish Mortimer, who, on my soul, hath wilfully betrayed the lives of those that he did lead to fight against that great magician, damned Glendower, whose daughter, as we hear, the Earl of March hath lately married. Shall our coffers, then, be emptied to redeem a traitor home? Shall we but treason? and indent with fears when they have lost and forfeited themselves? No, on the barren mountains let him starve, for I shall never hold that man my friend whose tongue shall ask me for one penny cost to ransom home revolted Mortimer. Revolted Mortimer! He never did fall off my sovereign liege, but by the chance of war, to prove that true needs no more but one tongue for all those wounds, those mouthed wounds which valiantly he took, when on the gentle severn sedgy bank, in single opposition, hand to hand, he did confound the best part of an hour in changing hardiment with great Glendower. Three times they breathed, and three times did they drink upon agreement of swift severn's flood, who then, affrighted with their bloody looks, ran fearfully among the trembling reeds, and hid his crisp head in the hollow bank, blood-stained with these valiant combatants. Never did base and rotten policy colour her working with such deadly wounds. Nor could the noble Mortimer receive so many, and all willingly. Then let him not be slandered with revolt. Thou dost belie him, Percy, thou dost belie him. He never did encounter with Glendower, 
I tell thee, he durst as well have met the devil alone as Owen Glendower for an enemy. Art thou not ashamed? But, sirrah, henceforth let me not hear you speak of Mortimer. Send me your prisoners with the speediest means, or you shall hear in such a kind from me as will displease you. My lord Northumberland, we license your departure with your son. Send us your prisoners, or you will hear of it. Excellent King Henry, Blunt, and Train. And if the devil come and roar for them, I will not send them. I will after straight and tell him so, for I will ease my heart, albeit I make a hazard of my head. What, drunk with collar? Stay and pause a while. Here comes your uncle. Re-enter Worcester. Speak of Mortimer. Sounds I will speak of him, and let my soul want mercy if I do not join with him. Yea, on his part I'll empty all these veins, and shed my dear blood drop by drop in the dust. But I will lift the downtrod Mortimer as high in the air as this unthankful king, as this ingrate and cankered Bolingbrook. Brother, the king hath made your nephew mad. Who struck up this heat after I was gone? He will forsooth have all my prisoners, and when I urged the ransom once again of my wife's brother, then his cheek looked pale, and on my face he turned an eye of death, trembling even at the name of Mortimer. I cannot blame him. Was not he proclaimed by Richard that dead is the next of blood? He was. I heard the proclamation. And then it was when the unhappy king, whose wrongs in us God pardon, did set forth upon his Irish expedition, from whence he intercepted did return, to be deposed and shortly murdered. And for whose death we in the world's wide mouth live scandalized and foully spoken of. But soft, I pray you, did King Richard then proclaim my brother Edmund Mortimer heir to the crown? He did, myself did hear it. Nay, then I cannot blame his cousin King, that wished him on the barren mountain starve. But shall it be that you, that set the crown upon the head of this forgetful man, and for his sake wear the detested blot of murderous subornation, shall it be that you a world of curses undergo, being the agents, or base second means, the cords, the ladder, or the hangman, rather? Oh, pardon me that I descend so low to show the line and the predicament wherein you range under this subtle king. Shall it for shame be spoken in these days, or fill up chronicles in time to come, that men of your nobility and power did gauge them both in an unjust behalf, as both of you, God pardon it, have done? To put down Richard, that sweet lovely rose, and plant this thorn, this canker, Bolingbroke? And shall it in more shame be further spoken, that you are fooled, discarded, and shook off by him for whom these shames ye underwent? No. Yet time serves wherein you may redeem your banished honours, and restore yourselves into the good thoughts of the world again. Revenge the jeering and disdained contempt of this proud king, who studies day and night to answer all the debt he owes to you, even with the bloody payment of your deaths. Therefore I say— Peace, cousin, say no more. And now I will unclasp a secret book, and to your quick-conceiving discontents I'll read you matter deep and dangerous, as full of peril and adventurous spirit as to a walk a current roaring loud on the unsteadfast footing of a spear. If he fall in, good night, or sink or swim, 
Send danger from the east unto the west, so honour cross it from the north to south, and let them grapple. Oh, the blood more stirs to rouse a lion than to start a hare. Imagination of some great exploit drives him beyond the bounds of patience. By heaven, methinks it were an easy leap to pluck bright honour from the pale-faced moon, or dive into the bottom of the deep, where fathomline could never touch the ground, and pluck up drowned honour by the locks so that he that doth redeem her thence might wear without co-rival all her dignities. But out upon this half-faced fellowship! He apprehends a world of figures here, but not the form of what he should attend. Good cousin, give me audience for a while. I cry you mercy. Those same noble Scots that are your prisoners— I'll keep them all. By God, he shall not have a Scot of them. No, if a Scot would save his soul, he shall not. I'll keep them by this hand. You start away and lend no ear unto my purposes. Those prisoners you shall keep. Nay, I will. That's flat. He said he would not ransom Mortimer, forbade my tongue to speak of Mortimer. But I will find him when he lies asleep, and in his ear I'll holler Mortimer. Nay, I'll have a starling shall be taught to speak nothing but Mortimer, and give it him to keep his anchor still in motion. Hear you, cousin, a word. All studies here I solemnly defy, save how to gall and pinch this Bolingbroke, and that same sword and buckler prince of Wales, but that I think his father loves him not, and would be glad he met with some mischance, I would have him poisoned with a pot of ale. Farewell, kinsman. I'll talk to you when you are better tempered to attend. Why? What a wasp-stung and impatient fool art thou to break into this woman's mood, tying thine ear to no tongue but thine own. Why, look you, I am whipped and scourged with rods, nettled and stung with piss-mires, when I hear of this vile politician Bolingbroke in Richard's time. What do you call the place? Oh, a plague upon it. It is in Gloucestershire. Twas where the madcap duke his uncle kept. His uncle York, where I first bowed my knee unto this king of smiles, this Bolingbroke. Oh, Splud, uh, when you and he came back from Ravensburg. At Berkeley Castle. You say true. Why, what a candy deal of courtesy this fawning greyhound then did proffer me. Look, when his infant fortune came to age, and gentle Harry Percy, and kind cousin— the devil take such cozeners. God forgive me. Uh, good uncle, tell your tale. I have done. Nay, if you have not, to it again. We will stay your leisure. I have done, i' faith. Then once more to your Scottish prisoners. Deliver them up without their ransom straight, and make the Douglas son your only mean for powers in Scotland, which, for diverse reasons which I shall send you written, be assured will easily be granted. You, my lord, to Northumberland, your son in Scotland being thus employed, shall secretly into the bosom creep of that same noble prelate well-beloved, the Archbishop. Of York, is it not? True, who bears hard his brother's death at Bristol, the Lord Scrope. I speak not this in estimation of what I think might be, but what I know is ruminated, plotted, and set down, and only stays but to behold the face of that occasion that shall bring it on. I smell it. Upon my life it will do well. Before the game is afoot, 
thou still let'st slip. Why, it cannot choose but be a noble plot. And then the power of Scotland and of York to join with Mortimer? <laughs> and so they shall. In faith it is exceedingly well aimed. And tis no little reason bids us speed to save our heads by raising of a head. Forbear ourselves as even as we can, the king will always think him in our debt, and think we think ourselves unsatisfied till he hath found a time to pay us home, and see already how he doth begin to make us strangers to his looks of love. He does, he does. We'll be revenged on him. Cousin, farewell. No further go in this than I by letters shall direct your course. When time is ripe, which will be suddenly, I'll steal to Glendower and Lord Mortimer, where you and Douglas and our powers at once, as I will fashion it, shall happily meet, to bear our fortunes in our own strong arms, which now we hold at much uncertainty. Farewell, good brother. We shall thrive, I trust. Uncle, adieu. Oh, let the hours be short, till fields and blows and groans applaud our sport. Exeunt. End of Act One Act Two of Henry the Fourth, Part One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Henry the Fourth, Part One by William Shakespeare. Scene One Rochester, an inn yard. Enter a carrier with a lantern in his hand. Hi-ho, and it be not four by the day, I'll be hanged. Charles Wayne is over the new chimney, and yet a horse not packed. What, ostler? Adorn, adorn. I prithee, Tom, beat cut saddle, put a few flocks in the point. Poor Jade is rung in the withers out of all cess. Enter another carrier. Peas and beans are as dank here as a dog, and that is the next way to give poor Jade's the bots. This house is turned upside down since Robin Ostler died. Poor fellow. Never joyed since the price of oats rose. It was the death of him. I think this be the most villainous house in all London Road for fleas. I am stung like a tench. Like a tench. By the mass, there's ne'er King Christen could be better bit than I have been since the first cock. Why, they will allow us ne'er a Jordan, and then we leak in your chimney, and your chamber lie breeds fleas like a loach. What ostler? Come away and be hanged. I have a gammon of bacon and two razors of ginger to be delivered as far as Charing Cross. God's body! The turkeys in my pannier are quite starved. What ossery plague on thee? Hast thou never an eye in thy head? Canst not hear? And twere not as good deed as drink to break the pate on thee, I am a very villain. Come and be hanged. Hast thou no faith in thee? Enter Gadshill. Good morrow, carriers. What's o'clock? I think it be two o'clock. I pray thee, lend me thy lantern, to see my gelding in the stable. Nay, by God, soft, I know trick worth to that in faith. I pray thee, lend me thine. Ay, when, canst tell, lend me thy lantern, quoth he. Marry, I'll see thee hanged first. Sirrah, carrier, what time do you mean to come to London? Time enough to go to bed with a candle, I warrant thee. Come, neighbour Muggs, we'll call up the gentleman. 
they will along with company, for they have great charge. Exeunt carriers. What ho? Chamberlain. At hand, quoth Pigpurse. That's even as fair as at hand, quoth the Chamberlain, for the veriest no more from picking of purses than giving direction doth from labouring. Thou layest the plot how. Enter Chamberlain. Good morrow, Master Godsill. It holds current that I told you yesternight there's a Franklin in the wild of Kent hath brought three hundred marks with him in gold. I heard him tell it to one of his company last night at supper. A kind of auditor, one that hath abundance of charge too, God knows what. They are up already and call for eggs and butter. They will away presently. Sirrah, if they meet not with St. Nicholas, clerks, I'll give thee this neck. No, I'll none of it. I pray thee keep that for the hangman, for I know thou worshippest St. Nicholas as truly as a man of falsehood may. What, talkest thou to me of the hangman? If I hang, I'll make a fat pair of gallows, for if I hang, old Sir John hangs with me, and thou knowest he is no starveling. Tut! There are other Trojans that thou dreamest not of, the which for sport's sake are content to do the profession some grace, that would, if matters should be looked into, for their own credit's sake make all whole. I am joined with no footland-rakers, no long-staff sixpenny-strikers, none of these mad-mustachio-purple-hued malt-worms, but with nobility and tranquillity, burgomasters and great oneers, such as can hold in, such as will strike sooner than speak, and speak sooner than drink, and drink sooner than pray, and yet zooms I lie, for they pray continually to their saint, the commonwealth, or rather not pray to her, but pray on her, for they ride up and down on her, and make her their boots. What? The commonwealth their boots? Will she hold out water in foul way? She will, she will. Justice hath liquored her. We steal as in a castle, cocksure. We have the receipt of fern-seed. We walk invisible. Nay, by my faith, I think you are more beholding to the night than to fern-seed for your walking invisible. Give me thy hand. Thou shalt have a share in our purchase, as I am a true man. Nay, rather let me have it, as you are a false thief. Go to. Homo is a common name to all men. Bid the ostler bring my gelding out of the stable. Farewell, you muddy knave. Exeunt. Scene two, the highway, near Gad's Hill. Enter Prince Henry and Poins. Come, shelter, shelter. I have removed Falstaff's horse, and he frets like a gummed velvet. Stand close. Enter Falstaff. Poins! Poins and be hanged! Poins! Peace, you fat kidneyed rascal. What a brawling dost thou keep! Where's Poins, Hal? He has walked up to the top of the hill. I'll go seek him. I'm accursed to rob in that thief's company. The rascal hath removed my horse, and tied him I know not where. 
If I travel but four foot by the squire further afoot, I shall break my wind. Well, I doubt not but to die a fair death for all this, if I escape hanging for killing that rogue. I have forsworn his company hourly, any time this two and twenty years, and yet I am bewitched with the rogue's company. If the rascal hath not given me medicines to make me love him, I'll be hanged. It could not be else. I have drunk medicines. Poins! Hal! Ah, plague upon you both! Bardolf! Pito! I'll starve ere I'll rob a foot further. And twere not as good a deed as drink, to turn true man and to leave these rogues. I am the veriest varlet that ever chewed with a tooth. Eight yards of uneven ground is threescore and ten miles afoot with me, and the stony-hearted villains know it well enough. A plague upon it when thieves cannot be trolled one to another. They whistle. Whew! A plague upon you all! Give me my horse, you rogues! Give me my horse and be hanged! Peace, you fat guts! Lie down. Lay thine ear close to the ground and list, if thou canst hear the tread of travellers. Have you any levers to lift me up again, being down? Splud! I'll not bear mine own flesh so far afoot again for all the coin in thy father's exchequer. What a plague me need to coat me thus! Thou liest. Thou art not coated. Thou art uncoated. I prithee, good Prince Hal, help me to my horse. Good king, son. Out, you rogue. Shall I be your ostler? Go hang thyself in thine own heir-apparent garters. If I be tain, I'll peach for this. Had I not made ballads made on you all and sung to filthy tunes? Let a cup of sack be my poison, when a jest is so forward, and a foot, too. I hate it. Enter Gadshill, Bardolph, and Peto. Stand! So I do, against my will. Oh, tis our setter. I know his voice. Bardolph, what news? Case ye, case ye, on with your visits. There's money of the king's coming down the hill. Tis going to the king's exchequer. You lie, ye rogue. Tis going to the king's tavern. There's enough to make us all. To be hanged? Sirs, you four shall front them in the narrow lane. Ned Poins and I will walk lower. If they escape from your encounter... Then they light on us. How many be there of them? Some eight or ten. Sounds. Will they not rob us? What? A coward, Sir John Punch. Oh, indeed, I am not John of Gaunt, your grandfather. But yet, no coward, Hal. Well, we leave that to the proof. Sirrah, Jack, thy horse stands behind the hedge. When thou needest him, there thou shalt find him. Farewell, and stand fast. Now cannot I strike him, if I should be hanged. Ned, where are our disguises? Here, hard by. Stand close. Exit Prince Henry and Poins. Now, my masters, happy man be his dole, say I. Every man to his business. Enter the travellers. Come, neighbour, the boy shall lead our horses down the hill. We'll walk afoot a while and ease our legs. Stand! Stand. Jesus bless us! Strike! Down with them! Cut the villains' throats! Ah, horse-son caterpillars, bacon-fed knaves! They hate us, youth! Down with them! Fleece them! 
Oh, we are undone, both we and ours, for ever. Hang ye, gore-bellied knaves. Are ye undone? No, ye fat chuffs. I would your store were here. On, bacons, on. What, ye knaves? Young men must live. You are grandeurs, are ye? We'll jure ye, faith. Here they rob them and bind them. Exeunt. Re-enter Prince Henry and Poins. The thieves have bound the true men. Now could thou and I rob the thieves, and go merrily to London. It would be argument for a week, laughter for a month, and a good jest for ever. Stand close. I hear them coming. Enter the thieves again. Come, my masters, and let us share, and then to horse before day. And the prince and poins be not two errant cowards, there's no equity stirring. There's no more valor in that poins than in a wild duck. Your money! Villains! As they are sharing, the prince and poins set upon them. They all run away, and Falstaff, after a blow or two, runs away too, leaving the booty behind them. <laughs> Got with much ease. Now merrily to horse. The thieves are all scattered and possessed with fear so strongly that they dare not meet each other. Each takes his fellow for an officer. Away, good Ned. Falstaff sweats to death and lards the lean earth as he walks along. Were it not for laughing, I should pity him. <laughs> How the rogue roared! Exeunt. Scene 3. Warkworth Castle. Enter Hotspur, Solus, reading a letter. But for mine own part, my lord, I could be well contented to be there, in respect of the love I bear your house. He could be contented. Why is he not, then? In respect of the love he bears our house? He shows in this he loves his own barn better than he loves our house. Uh, let me see some more. The purpose you undertake is dangerous. Why, that's certain. It is dangerous to take a cold, to sleep, to drink. But I tell you, my lord, fool, out of this nettle, danger, we pluck this flower safety. Uh, the purpose you undertake is dangerous, the friends you have named uncertain, the time itself unsorted, and your whole plot too light for the counterpoise of so great an opposition. <laughs> say you so? Say you so? Now, oh, I say unto you again, you are a shallow, cowardly hind, and you lie. What a lack-brain is this? By the lord, our plot is as good a plot as ever was laid. Our friends true and constant, a good plot, good friends, and full of expectation. An excellent plot, very good friends. What a frosty-spirited rogue is this! Why, my lord of York commends the plot and the general course of action. Sounds, and I were now by this rascal I could brain him with his lady's fan. Is there not my father, my uncle, and myself, Lord Edmund Mortimer, my lord of York, and Owen Glendower? Is there not besides the Douglas? Have I not all their letters to meet me in arms by the ninth of next month? And and are they not some of them set forward already? What a pagan rascal is this! An infidel! Ah! You shall now see in very sincerity of fear and cold heart will he to the king and lay open all our proceedings. Oh, I could divide myself and go to buffets for moving such a dish of skim milk with so honourable an action. Hang him! Let him tell the king. We are prepared. I will set forward to-night. Enter Lady Percy. How now, Kate? I must leave you within these two hours. Oh, my good lord, why are you thus alone? 
for what offence have I this fortnight been a banished woman from my Harry's bed? Tell me, sweet lord, what is it takes from thee thy stomach, pleasure, and thy golden sleep? Why dost thou bend thine eyes upon the earth, and start so often when thou sitst alone? Why hast thou lost the fresh blood in thy cheeks, and given my treasures and my rights of thee to thick-eyed musing and cursed melancholy? In thy faint slumbers I by thee have watched, and heard thee murmur tales of iron wars, speak terms of manage to thy bounding steed, cry courage to the field! And thou hast talked of sallies and retires, of trenches, tents, of palisados, frontiers, parapets, of basilisks, of cannon, culverin, of prisoners' ransom, and of soldiers slain, and all the currents of a heady fight. Thy spirit within thee hath been so at war, and thus hath so bestirred thee in thy sleep, that beads of sweat have stood upon thy brow like bubbles in a late disturbed stream, and in thy face strange motions have appeared, such as we see when men restrain their breath on some great sudden hest. Oh, what portents are these! Some heavy business hath my lord in hand, and I must know it, else he loves me not. What ho? Enter servant. Is Gilliams with a packet gone? He is, my lord, an hour ago. Hath Butler brought those horses from the sheriff? One horse, my lord, he brought even now. What horse? Uh, a roan? A crop-ear, is it not? It is, my lord. That roan shall buy my throne. Well, I will back him straight. O oh, Esperance, bid Butler lead him forth into the park. Exit servant. But hear you, my lord! What sayest thou, my lady? What is it carries you away? Why, my horse, my love, my horse. Out, you mad-headed ape! A weasel hath not such a deal of spleen as you are tossed with. In faith, I'll know your business, Harry, that I will. I fear my brother Mortimer doth stir about his title, and hath sent for you to line his enterprise. But if you go— So far afoot, I shall be weary, love. Come, come, you parakeeto, answer me directly unto this question that I ask. In faith, I'll break thy little finger, Harry, that I will, and if thou wilt not tell me all things true. Away, away, you trifler. Love, I love thee not. I care not for thee, Kate. This is no world to play with mammoths and to tilt with lips. We must have bloody noses and cracked crowns, and pass them current, too. God's me, my horse— why sayest thou, Kate, what what wouldst thou have with me? Do you not love me? Do you not, indeed? Well, do not, then. For since you love me not, I will not love myself. Do you not love me? Nay, tell me whether thou speak'st in jest or no. Come, wilt thou see me ride? And when I am on horseback, I will swear I love thee infinitely. But hark you, Kate, I must not have you henceforth question me whither I go, nor reason whereabout. Whither I must, I must, and to conclude this evening must I leave you, gentle Kate. I know you wise, but yet no farther wise than Harry Percy's wife. Constant you are, but yet a woman, and for secrecy no lady closer. For I well believe thou wilt not utter what thou dost not know. And so far will I trust thee, gentle Kate." How, so far? 
not an inch further. But hark you, Kate, whither I go, thither shall you go too. Today will I set forth, tomorrow you. Will this content you, Kate? It must, of force. Exeunt. Scene four. The Boar's Head Tavern, East Cheap. Enter Prince Henry and Poins. Ned, prithee come out of that fat room and lend me thy hand to laugh a little. Where hast been, Hal? <laughs> With three or four loggerheads, amongst three or four score hogsheads. I have sounded the very base string of humility. Sirrah, I am sworn brother to a leash of drawers, and can call them by their christened names as Tom, Dick, and Francis. They take it already upon their salvation that, though I be but Prince of Wales, yet I am the King of Courtesy. And tell me flatly, I am no proud jack like Falstaff, but a Corinthian, a lad of metal, a good boy. By the Lord, so they call me. And when I am King of England, I shall command all the good lads of East Cheap. They call drinking deep, dying scarlet. And when you breathe in your watering, they cry, Hem! and bid you play it off. To conclude, I am so good a proficient in one quarter of an hour that I can drink with any tinker in his own language during my life. I tell thee, Ned, thou hast lost much honor that thou were not with me in this action. But sweet Ned, to sweeten which name of Ned, I give thee this pennyworth of sugar, clapped even now into my hand by an underskinker, one that never spake other English in his life than eight shillings and six pence, and you are welcome, with this shrill edition, Anon, anon, sir! Score a pint of bastard in the half-moon, or, or so, but, Ned, to drive away the time till Falstaff come, I prithee, do those stand in some by-room while, while I question my puny drawer to, to what end he gave me the sugar, and do thou never leave calling Francis, that this tale to me may be nothing but anon? Step aside, and I'll show thee a precedent. Francis? Thou art perfect. Francis! Exit points. Enter Francis. Anon, anon, sir. Look down into the pomegranate, Ralph. Come hither, Francis. My lord? Uh, how long hast thou to serve, Francis? Forsooth, five years, and as much as Francis. to... Francis! Anon, anon, sir. Five year? By our lady, a long lease for the clinking of pewter. But, Francis, darest thou be so valiant as to play the coward with thy indenture, and show it a fair pair of heels and run from it? O oh, Lord, sir, I'll be sworn upon all the books in England I could find in my heart. Francis? Anon, sir. How old art thou, Francis? Let me see. About Michaelmas next I shall be. Francis! Anon, sir. Pray stay a little, my lord. Nay, but hark you, Francis. For the sugar thou gavest me, uh, twas a pennyworth, was not? O oh, Lord, I would it had been two. I will give thee for it a thousand pound. Ask me when thou wilt, and thou shalt have it. Francis! Anon, anon. Anon, Francis? No, Francis, but tomorrow, Francis. Or, Francis, a Thursday. Or, indeed, Francis, when thou wilt, but Francis... My lord? Will thou rob this leathern jerkin, crystal button, not pated agate ring, puke stocking, gaddis garter, smooth tongue, Spanish pouch? Oh, lord, sir, 
Who do you mean? Why, then, your brown bastard is your only drink. For look you, Francis, your white canvas doublet will sully. In Barbary, sir, it cannot come to so much. What, sir? Francis! Away, you rogue, dost thou not hear them call? Here they both call him. The drawer stands amazed, not knowing which way to go. Enter Vintner. What, standest thou still, and hearest such a calling? Look to the guests within. Exit Francis. My lord, old Sir John, with half a dozen more, are at the door. Shall I let them in? Let them alone a while, and then open the door. Exit Vintner. Poins. Re-enter Poins. Anon, anon, sir. Sirrah, Falstaff, and the rest of the thieves are at the door. Shall we be merry? As merry as crickets, my lad. But hark ye, what cunning match have you made with this jest of the drawer? Come, what's the issue? I am now of all humors that have showed themselves humors since the old days of good man Adam to the pupil age of this present twelve o'clock at midnight. Re-enter Francis. What's o'clock, Francis? Anon, anon, sir. Exit. That ever this fellow should have fewer words than a parrot, and yet the son of a woman. His industry is upstairs and downstairs, his eloquence the parcel of a reckoning. I am not yet of Percy's mind, the hotspur of the north. He that kills me some six or seven dozen of Scots at a breakfast, washes his hands and says to his wife, Fie upon this quiet life, I want work. Oh, my sweet Harry, says she, how many hast thou killed today? Give my roan horse a drench, says he, and, and answers, some fourteen, an hour after, a trifle, a trifle. I prithee, Colin Falstaff, I'll play Percy, and that damned bronze shall play Dame Mortimer, his wife. Revo, says the drunkard, Colin Ribs, Colin Tallow. Enter Falstaff, Gadshill, Bardolph, and Peto, Francis following with wine. Welcome, Jack. Where hast thou been? A plague of all cowards, I say, and a vengeance, too, merry and amen. Give me a cup of sack, boy. Ere I lead this life long, I'll sow nether stocks, and mend them, and put them, too. A plague of all cowards. Give me a cup of sack, rogue. Is there no virtue extant? He drinks. Didst thou ever see Titan kiss a dish of butter? Pitiful-hearted Titan, that melted at the sweet tail of the sun. If thou didst, then behold, that compound. <laughs> you rogue, here's lime in this sack, too. There is nothing but roguery to be found in villainous man, yet a coward is worse than a cup of sack with lime in it. A villainous coward. Go thy ways, old Jack, die when thou wilt, if manhood, good manhood, be not forgot upon the face of the earth, then am I a shot and herring. There live not three good men unhanged in England, and one of them is fat and grows old. God help the while. A bad world, I say. I would I were a weaver. I could sing psalms or anything. A plague of all cowards, I say still. How now, Woolsack? What mutter you? A king's son. If I do not beat thee out of thy kingdom with a dagger of lath, and drive all thy subjects afore thee like a flock of wild geese, I'll never wear hair on my face more, you prince of Wales. Why, you horse-unround man, what's the matter? 
Are not you a coward? Answer me to that, and points there. Zounds, ye fat potch, and ye call me coward. By the Lord, I'll stab thee. Oh, I call thee coward. I'll see thee damned that I call thee coward, but I would give a thousand pound. I could run as fast as thou canst. You are straight enough in the shoulders. You care not who sees your back. Call you that backing of your friends? A plague upon such backing. Give me them that will face me. Give me a cup of sack. I'm a rogue if I drunk today. Oh, villain! Thy lips are scarce wiped since thou drunkest last. All's one for that. He drinks. A plague of all cowards, still say I. What's the matter? What's the matter? There be four of us here have ta'en a thousand pounds this day morning. Where is it, Jack? Where is it? Where is it? Taken from us it is. A hundred upon poor four of us. What? A hundred men? I am a rogue, if I were not at half-sword with a dozen of them two hours together. I have escaped by miracle. I am eight times thrust through the doublet, four through the hose, my buckler cut through and through, my sword hacked like a handsaw, ake signum. I never dealt better since I was a man. All would not do. A plague of all cowards. Let them speak. If they speak more or less than truth, they are villains and the sons of darkness. Speak, sirs. How was it? We four set upon some dozen. Sixteen, at least, my lord. And bound them. Nah, nah, they were not bound. You rogue. They were bound, every man of them, or I am a Jew, else an Hebrew Jew. As we were sharing... Some six or seven fresh men set upon us. And unbound the rest, and then come in the other. What? Fought you with them all? All. I know not what you call all, but if I fought not with fifty of them, I am a bunch of radish. If there were not two or three and fifty upon poor old Jack, then am I no two-legged creature. Pray God you have not murdered some of them nay that's past praying for i have peppered two of them two i am sure i have paid two rogues in buckram suits i tell thee what hal if i tell thee a lie spit in my face call me horse thou knowest my old ward here i lay and thus i bore my point four rogues in buckram that drive what four Thou saidst but two even now. Four, Hal, I told thee four. Aye, aye, he said four. These four came all affront, and mainly thrust at me. I made me no more ado, but took all their seven points in my target thus. Seven? Why, there were but four even now. In Buckram? Aye, four, in Buckram suits. At seven, by these hills, or I am a villain else. Prithee let him alone. We shall have more anon. Dost thou hear me, Hal? Aye, and mark thee too, Jack. Do so, for it is worth the listening to. These nine in Buckram that I told thee of... So, two more already. Their points being broken... Down fell their hose. Began to give me ground, but 
I followed me close, came in foot and hand, and with a thought seven of the eleven I paid. Oh, monstrous! Eleven buckra men grown out of two. But, as the devil would have it, three misbegotten knaves in Kendall Green came at my back and let drive at me, for it was so dark, Hal, that thou couldst not see thy hand. These lies are like their father that begets them. Gross as a mountain, open, palpable. Why, thou clay-brained guts, thou naughty-pated fool, thou whoreson obscene, greasy tallow-catch! What? Art thou mad? Art thou mad? Is not the truth the truth? Why, how couldst thou know these men in Kendall Green, when it was so dark thou couldst not see thy hand? Come, tell us your reason. What sayest thou to this? Come, your reason, Jack, your reason. What, upon compulsion? Zounds, and I were at the strapedo, or all the racks in the world, I would not tell you on compulsion. Give you a reason on compulsion. If reasons were as plentiful as blackberries, I would give no man a reason upon compulsion, I. I'll be no longer guilty of this sin. This sanguine coward, this bed-presser, this horseback-breaker, this huge hill of flesh. Blood, you starveling, you elf-skin, you trite neat's tongue, you bull's pizzle, you stockfish. Oh, for breath to utter what is like thee, you tailor's yard, you sheath, you bow-case, you vile standing tuck. Well, breathe a while, and then to it again. And when thou hast tired thyself in base comparisons, hear me speak but this. Mark, Jack. We two saw you four set on four, and bound them and were masters of their wealth. Mark now how a plain tale shall put you down. Then did we two set on you four, and with a word outface you from your prize and have it. Yea, and can show it you here in the house. And, Falstaff, you carried your guts away as nimbly, with as quick dexterity, and roared for mercy, and still run and roared, as ever I heard Bullcalf. What a slave art thou, to hack thy sword as thou hast done, and then say it was in fight. What trick, what device, what starting hole canst thou now find out to hide thee from this open and apparent shame? Come, let's hear, Jack. What trick hast thou now? By the Lord, I, I knew ye as well as he that made ye. Why, hear you, my masters, was it for me to kill the heir apparent? Should I turn upon the true prince? Why, thou knowest I am as valiant as Hercules, but beware instinct. The lion will not touch the true prince. Instinct is a great matter. I was now a coward on instinct. I I shall think the better of myself and thee during my life, I for a valiant lion, and thou for a true prince. But, by the Lord, lads, I am glad you have the money. Hostess, clap to the doors. Watch to-night, pray to-morrow. Gallants, lads, boys, hearts of gold, all the titles of good fellowship come to you. What? Shall we be merry? Shall we have a play extempore? 
content, and the argument shall be thy running away. Ah, no more of that, Hal, and thou lovest me? Enter Hostess. Oh, Jesu, my lord the prince! How now, my lady the hostess? What sayest thou to me? Marry, my lord, there is a nobleman of the court at door would speak with you. He says he comes from your father. Give him as much as will make him a royal man, and send him back again to my mother. What matter of man is he? An old man. What doth gravity out of his bed at midnight? Shall I give him his answer? Prithee do, Jack. <laughs> Faith, and I'll send him packing. Exit Falstaff. Now, sirs, by your lady you fought fair, and so did you, Pito. So did you, Bardolph. You are lions, too. You ran away upon instinct. You will not touch the true prince. No. Fie. Faith, I ran when I saw the others run. Tell me now in earnest, how came Falstaff's sword so hacked? Why, he hacked at it with his dagger and said he would swear truth out of England, but he would make you believe it was done in fight, and persuaded us to do the like. Yea, and to tickle our noses with spear-grass to make them bleed, and then to beslubber our garments with it, and swear it was the blood of true men. I did that I did not this seven year before. I blushed to hear his monstrous devices. Oh, villain! Thou stolest a cup of sack eighteen years ago, and were taken with the manor, and ever since thou hast blushed extempore. Thou hadst fire and sword on thy side, and yet thou ranst away. What instinct hadst thou for it? My lord, do you see these meteors? Do you behold these exhalations? I do. What think you they portend? Hot livers and cold purses. Collar, my lord, if rightly taken. No. If rightly taken, halter. Re-enter Falstaff. Here comes lean Jack. Here comes barebone. How now, my sweet creature of bombast? How long is to go, Jack, since thou sawest thine own knee? My own knee? <laughs> when I was about thy years, Hal, I, I was not an eagle's talon in the waist. I could have crept into any alderman's thumb-ring. A plague of sighing and grief. It blows a man up like a bladder. There's villainous news abroad. Here was Sir John Bracy from your father. You must to the court in the morning. That same mad fellow of the north, Percy, and he of Wales, that gave Amamon the bastinado, and made Lucifer cuckold, and swore the devil his true liegeman upon the cross of a Welsh hook. What a plague call you him? Oh, Glendower. Owen, Owen, uh, the same, and his son-in-law Mortimer, and uh, old Northumberland, and uh, that sprightly Scot of Scots, Douglas, that runs a horseback up a hill perpendicular. He that rides at high speed, and with his pistol, kills a sparrow flying. You have hit it. So did he, never the sparrow. Well, that rascal hath good metal in him. He will not run. Why, what a rascal art thou then, to praise him so for running? A horseback, ye cuckoo, but afoot he will not budge afoot. Yes, Jack, upon instinct. I grant ye upon instinct. Well, he is there too, and one more dake, and a thousand blue caps more. Wooster is stolen away tonight. Thy father's beard is turned white with the news. You may buy land now as cheap as stinking mackerel. 
Why, then, it is like, if there come a hot June, and this civil buffeting hold, we shall buy maidenheads as they buy hobnails by the hundreds. By the mass, lad, thou sayest true. It is like we shall have good trading that way. But tell me how, are not thou horrible afeard? Thou being heir apparent, could the world pick thee out three such enemies again as that fiend Douglas, that spirit Percy, and that devil Glendower? Art thou not horribly afraid? Doth not thy blood thrill at it? Not a whit of faith. I lack some of thy instinct. Well, thou wert be horribly chid to-morrow when thou comest to thy father. If thou love me, practice an answer. Do thou stand for my father, and examine me upon the particulars of my life? Shall I? Content. This chair shall be my state, this dagger my scepter, and this cushion my crown. Thy state is taken for a joined stool, thy golden scepter for a leaden dagger, and thy precious rich crown for a pitiful bald crown. Well, and the fire of grace be not quite out of thee, now shalt thou be moved. Give me a cup of sack to make my eyes look red, that it may be thought I have wept, for I must speak in passion, and I will do it in King Cambus's vein. Well, here is my lay. And here is my speech. Stand aside, nobility. Ah, oh, Jesu, this is excellent sport of faith. Weep not, sweet queen, for trickling tears are vain. Oh, the father, how he holds his countenance. For God's sake, lords, convey my tristful queen, for tears do stop the floodgates of her eyes. Oh, Jesu, he doth it as like one of these harlotry players as ever I see. Peace, good paint-pot, peace, good tickle-brain. Harry, I do not only marvel where thou spendest thy time, but also how thou art accompanied. For though the chamomile, the more it is trodden on, the faster it grows, yet youth, the more it is wasted, the sooner it wears. That thou art my son, I have partly thy mother's word, partly my own opinion, but chiefly a villainous trick of thine eye, and a foolish hanging of thy nether lip, that doth warrant me. If then thou be son to me, here lies the point. Why, being son to me, art thou so pointed at? Shall the blessed son of heaven prove a maker and eat blackberries? A question not to be asked. Shall the son of England prove a thief and take purses? A question to be asked. There is a thing, Harry, which thou hast often heard of, and it is known to many in our land by the name of Pitch. This Pitch, as ancient writers do report, doth defile. So doth the company thou keepest. For Harry, now, I do not speak to thee in drink, but in tears, not in pleasure, but in passion, not in words only, but in woes also. And yet there is a virtuous man whom I have often noted in thy company, but I know not his name. What manner of man, and it like your majesty? A goodly, portly man, a faith, and a corpulent, of a cheerful look, a pleasing eye, and a most noble carriage, and, as I think, his age some fifty, or 
by our lady, and clining to three score. And now I remember me. His name is Falstaff. If that man should be lewdly given, he deceiveth me. For, Harry, I see virtue in his looks. If then the tree may be known by the fruit, as the fruit by the tree, then peremptorily I speak it. There is virtue in that Falstaff. Him keep with, the rest banish. And tell me now, thou naughty varlet, tell me, where hast thou been this month? Dost thou speak like a king? Do thou stand for me? and I'll play my father. Depose me, if thou dost it half so gravely, so majestically, both in word and matter. Hang me up by the heels for a rabbit-sucker, or a poulter's hair. Well, here I am set. And here I stand. Judge, my masters. Now, Harry, whence came you? My noble lord, from East Cheap. The complaints I hear of thee are grievous. Splurt, my lord, they are false. Nay, I'll tickle ye for a young prince of faith. Swearest thou, ungracious boy? Henceforth ne'er look on me. Thou art violently carried away from grace. There is a devil haunts thee in the likeness of an old fat man. A ton of man is thy companion. Why dost thou converse with that trunk of humours, that bolting hutch of beastliness, that swollen parcel of dropsies, that huge bombard of sack, that stuffed cloak bag of guts, that roasted manning tree ox with the pudding in his belly, that reverend vice, that grey iniquity, that father ruffian, that vanity in years? Wherein is he good but to taste sack and drink it? Wherein neat and clean and cleanly but to carve a capon and eat it? Wherein cunning but in craft? Wherein crafty but in villainy? Wherein villainous but in all things? Wherein worthy but in nothing? I would your grace would take me with you. Who means your grace? That villainous, abominable, misleader of youth, Falstaff. That old, white-bearded Satan. My lord, the man I know. I know thou dost. But to say I know more harm in him than in myself, I will to say more than I know. That he is old, the more the pity. His white hairs do witness it. But that he is, saving your reverence, a whore-master, that I utterly deny. If sack and sugar be a fault, God help the wicked." If to be old and marry be a sin, then many an old host that I know is damned. If to be fat be to be hated, then Pharaoh's lean kine ought to be loved. No, my good lord, banish Peto, banish Bardolph, banish Poins, but for sweet Jack Falstaff, kind Jack Falstaff, true Jack Falstaff, valiant Jack Falstaff, and therefore more valiant being as he is, old Jack Falstaff, banish not him thy Harry's company, banish not him thy Harry's company, banish plump Jack, and banish all the world. I do. I will. A knocking heard. Exeunt hostess, Francis, and Bardolph. 
re-enter bardolph running oh my lord my lord the sheriff with a most monstrous watch is at the door out ye rogue play out the play i have much to say in the behalf of that falstaff re-enter the hostess oh jesu my lord my lord hey hey the devil rides upon a fiddlestick what's the matter the sheriff and all the watcher at the door they are come to search the house shall i let them in dost thou hear how i never caught a true piece of gold a counterfeit thou art essentially mad without seeming so and thou a natural coward without instinct i deny your major if you will deny the sheriff so if not let him enter if i become not a cart as well as another man a plague on my bringing up i hope i shall soon be strangled with a halter as another go hide thee behind the arras the rest walk up above now my masters for a true face and good conscience both which i have had but their date is out and therefore i'll hide me call in the sheriff exeunt all except prince henry and peto enter sheriff and the carrier now master sheriff what is your will with me first pardon me my lord a hue and cry hath followed certain men unto this house what men one of them is well known my gracious lord a gross fat man as fat as butter and the man i do assure you is not here for i myself at this time have employed him and sheriff i will engage my word to thee that that i will by to-morrow dinner-time send him to answer thee or any man for anything he shall be charged withal and so let me entreat you leave the house i will my lord there are two gentlemen have in this library lost three hundred marks it may be so if he have robbed these men he shall be answerable and so farewell good night my noble lord i think it is good morrow is it not indeed my lord i think it be two o'clock excellent sheriff and carrier this oily rascal is known as well as paul's go call him forth falstaff fast asleep behind the arras and snorting like a horse hark how hard he fetches breath search his pockets he searcheth his pockets and findeth certain papers what hast thou found nothing but papers my lord let's see what they be read them item a capon two shillings tuppence item sauce fourpence item sack two gallons five shillings eightpence item anchovies and sack after supper two shillings sixpence item bread halfpenny oh monstrous but this one halfpenny worth of bread to this intolerable deal of sack what there is else keep close we'll read it at more advantage there let him sleep till day i'll to the court in the morning we must all to the wars and thy place shall be honourable i'll procure this fat rogue a charge of foot and i know his death will be a march of twelve score the money shall be paid back again with advantage be with me betimes in the morning and so good morrow peto good morrow good my lord exeunt end of act two everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day 
that crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.